0: Adam Sudd is a gem. He's the type of person that you meet and can't help but instantly love. The type of person who has explored his darkness, seen his rock bottom, and been humbled and strengthened by that experience. He is open in his vulnerability, in ways that invite you in and let you know that you too can build yourself back up no matter how low you feel. He is the everyman, but also such a shining inspiration Just a few years ago, Adam was struggling with both a drug addiction and type two diabetes. And today he is one of the most holistically healthy individuals you'll meet. Adam's story is about recovery and resilience. It is powerful and moving. And I am so glad to be able to share it with all of you. So, uh well we were just talking about the <laughs> the Engine 2 immersions and everything and that is where I met you was this at summer Plantstock, at yeah. Plantstock, yeah. yeah. Um so you've been doing lots of the Engine 2 events lately. Are you basically a, a regular member of of the lineup now?
1: Uh I'm a yeah, I'm a speaker for uh the immersions for the last two years, mm-hmm. um, plant stock, this year was my first plant stock, um, but I will be part of the uh, the, the entire 2017. Uh, so every lineup. single one. Every single one. That's yeah. so cool. So, and then I spoke in Cleveland at the, the weekender event, which was my first time doing a weekender event. It was great. Awesome. Yeah.
0: Have you always been comfortable with public speaking? Um, like, did you... Did you want to share your story or was it rip who reached out to you to to see if you would be willing to share
1: it's it's funny because like i grew up uh, doing drama yeah and so i like i really like attention and um and i i think it's important to uh to share my story especially uh the drug addiction aspect of it um but It was funny because I came home to Austin. I've been living in in Los Angeles for the past four years. And this was about um, maybe two years after I had started treatment. And so Mm -hmm. I was two years sober. And uh, I flew home to Austin. And I was in the the corporate offices of Whole Foods. I was there visiting my dad. And I'm waiting in the lobby for them to get me a badge to go upstairs. And Rip Esselstyn comes walking through the lobby because his office is in there. And I hadn't seen him you know in since i was really heavy um and, uh, you hadn't
0: seen him since you had done the retreat
1: i had seen him you know i was living in austin uh then and so we would run into each other in the store and we would run right. into each other like
0: you guys knew each other kind
1: yeah of. we knew each other yeah and i saw him and did said, he
0: know that you were sorry i don't mean to. No, no, did he a, know that you were a drug addict
1: no okay so i uh i saw him in the lobby and, and i yelled i said hey rip and he looks at me and I can immediately tell he has no idea who I am. Yeah. And like for someone who used to be morbidly obese and, and very unhealthy, that's such a great compliment. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> he, he looks at me and he just like, this this odd point and like this look of confusion on his face. Yeah. Like, I guess he just assumed that I was someone who read his book or, or his buys his product. Yeah, and yeah. he just starts to leave. And I was like, RIP! It's Adam son. And he turns around and he goes, Oh my God. <laughs> and he invites me up to his office. And I mean, that's
0: probably the biggest compliment for him it was, is to see someone who's followed his protocol yeah. and now he can't recognize them. So it's like and the biggest compliment I went up for up And he said,
1: What have you been doing? And I said, Well, you know, I've been plant strong now for, for a while. And, uh, you know, I, I know that it didn't work for me. Um, I wasn't ready to do it when I came to your immersion and it wasn't because of anything that you or your team failed to do for me it was uh, there's some things that I need to be honest with you about um, uh, because for the past few years I've been in addiction recovery and part of the recovery process is to be brutally honest and open and share your experience and I need to be honest with you about some things that uh, not only have I been a drug addict for, um, you know, well over 10, 12 years, but, you know, I was an addict at your immersion and I was using my drugs at your immersion. Mm. And, you know, I wanted to apologize for that because it wasn't until I saw what what it was that you were offering everyone, until I was able to embrace it in my life, until I saw what you, what it was you were doing for everyone, that I realized, one, how obviously how incredibly disrespectful that was. And two, how dangerous it was for me to be using my drug in that place, putting other people's lives at risk, putting my life at risk, without you knowing that's just, and I I apologized to him. Yeah. And he looked at me and he goes, will you come to the next immersion and tell people that? (laughs) And I said, yeah, of course. And that was the start of it. That was the start oh, wow. of, uh, and I came to the, the May immersion yeah. that following year, and and it was that was the first time I ever shared my my story. I mean, I'd spoken at you know AA meetings and recovery events and stuff like that, but the first time I'd really gotten up and shared shared my experience, and, and also in dealing with my relationship with my father. So, and it it went so well, and and they've invited me back to to every event ever since. So. And Rip has just become such a an amazing friend and mentor and mm-hmm. and uh, and it's it's you know uh, a few weekends ago I was up in Cleveland for the weekend event and I yeah. you know I stayed at uh, Ann and Essie's place. Right. I slept in Rip's brother's old room and he was sleeping across <laughs> the hall from me. And every night, this was during the World Series. Yeah. So every night until midnight, we were in uh, Essie's man cave <laughs> watching the World Series together. It was just like I mean to to realize that. I don't want to, you know, I figure we'll get into more of this during the conversation, but, you know, I, I was laying awake after watching the World Series with them in, in, in the Esselstyn home, Yeah. Uh, being embraced by Ann, giving me this big hug and making me dinner, mm-hmm. and I'm sitting there like, four years ago, I was lying on my apartment, dying from an overdose, and at that moment, I was At the Esselstyn's house, you know, sleeping over, having a slumber party with (laughs) Griff Esselstyn and, uh, and, and, and just, you know, Essie coming in and just being so happy to see me and give me a hug and, Anne just refusing to stop making food for me, which Mm -hmm. she always does. (laughs) It was just, I I was sitting there like, what happened? Yeah. It's, it's surreal. It's so surreal. It's so, it's so crazy. So, yeah. Yeah. It's been, it's been a wild one.
0: Yeah, oh my gosh, <laughs> I'm sure that felt amazing. It was, it was just so... Yeah,
1: it was something else.
0: One of those things that really makes you stop and think and it does. feel gratitude for your life. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, let's let's go back and tell your story a little okay. bit. So, um, or one of your stories. I mean, I'm sure you have many stories about you, but the story that uh, you've made it your mission to tell.
1: Yeah, so I think that it's important to know, you know, who, who I am, where I come from, m- my family, and and all that, and and I'm, I'm one of three kids. I have an identical twin brother and a younger sister, and uh, I grew up in Austin, or born in Houston, lived in Houston for a little bit, but then moved to Austin, Texas. Seventh generation Texan, grew up eating barbecue and burgers, and and you know the the traditional southern foods, fried chicken every Friday night, mm. um, and. uh but not only that, I'm also Jewish, so uh, all the the holiday foods and the, and the custom customary foods that come with being Jewish, which are by no means healthy. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I thought you know that was normal. And not only that, um, my my father is uh, a founding member of Whole Foods Market and is currently the um, the executive uh, vice president of business growth and development. And so I had a father who. Had this grasp of what it meant to uh, what the food on your plate was supposed to be, and not only that, but when he was young, when he was in college, his father passed away from cancer, Mm. and as a result of that trauma, he becomes one. It it sort of closed. I think I think that it closed him off emotionally. Yeah. Um. And he uh, he becomes very frightened of losing people that are close to him as a result of their own behaviors Hmm. and um but because he's closed off emotionally his way of expressing saying that I'm I love you this is how I'm going to show my love because I'm afraid of what you're doing is to become critical because it's easier to access fear and criticism in the brain than it is to access love that's just a part of of human nature that's how we survive yeah Um, it's
0: kind of like a a it's just, it's safety mechanism it's like we put up a wall and we think that yeah it's it's kind of like it it's a way to keep ourselves safe it is also to
2: push others away is to others.
1: move possible threat mm-hmm. out of our area if you're embracing and you're bringing them in there's possible there's a there's an opportunity to be injured right there's um, that vulnerability so that's what he does and I, I remember being even at a very young age we weren't allowed to have junk food in the house okay. um, and being criticized for
0: you weren't allowed to have junk food, but you, you did have fried chicken every Friday.
1: Well, that, but that, wasn't, <laughs> that, but that wasn't considered junk food because right. it wasn't packaged.
0: Right, right. I got um,
1: you. Uh, but I, yes, now, <laughs> of course. Um, and I would be criticized for wanting the Oreos and mm, the fruit roll-ups mm-hmm. and those things. And, and going down to Philip, my, my best friend growing up, Philip and, and Michael, down to their house, because their pantry was nothing but that. Right. And like, just closet binging in their pantry on it. Um, and then being criticized for you know being maybe slightly overweight when I was young Mm because I started puberty late Um, but uh, I was also diagnosed as a uh, with ADHD Mm -hmm. when I was young and I was put on Ritalin and there's an interesting thing that I think happens and 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 I'm not a fan of putting a child on any kind of mind-altering substance I think putting a developing brain uh, taking a developing brain and putting mind-altering substances into that developing brain is criminal. Right. Not only that, there's so many factors that go into diagnosing the symptoms that, that create ADHD and to treat them all with the same medi- medicine is just a lazy approach to tre- to treatment. Yeah. Um, but I, I think now the, the biggest thing is that I think it impacted me in the way that I was told that there was something different about me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And this pill will make you normal.
0: Mm, yeah.
1: And... Uh, and I think from that moment on, I looked outwardly to fix the problems I thought I had in myself. Right. So I self-soothed with, with junk food a lot. And, uh, but you
0: didn't, did you realize you were self-soothing with junk food?
1: No, but I remember being a closet eater. I remember, mm. I remember having, there was a few mornings uh, a month that we would have cinnamon rolls mm-hmm. for breakfast. And I would be allowed to have two, and then my parents would leave, and I would go grab some run in my room, close the door, and eat them. Mm. Like because I was afraid of being caught eating them right um, and
0: uh did you feel bad about yourself for doing those things, or did you I you felt, just felt like I you were did, hiding them from other people
1: i I felt like I was hiding my behavior from from my parents, and it's it 's weird because I guess I felt like i couldn 't just want them, and that would be okay yeah. um, the The problem is I think that the miscommunication was that. The issues that they had weren't with me as a person they were with my behavior and that Mm -hmm. was never explained yes and 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 that's where the the disconnect that's why i didn't understand that him being critical was his the only way he was able to show his love for me it was how he was saying i'm afraid that you eating these foods and you doing these things it's gonna it's gonna cause you to get sick and i'm gonna lose you Mm -hmm. and i don't want to Right. When you're ten and you can't understand that yes and when you're twelve and you can't understand that, and then when you start to go through puberty in high school and the way you look to other people becomes very important, mm-hmm. then there's this whole other dynamic because it's not just at home where it matters, right now it's everywhere, yeah and uh, I was in high school in my freshman year of high school, I was a little heavy mm-hmm. and uh, and we we had just moved to Austin and I, I started uh, high school at a, at a brand new school, didn't know anyone. And um, I was on, I, at that point, my, my medicine went from Ritalin to the new super drug, which was Adderall. Hmm. And uh, it was a, a weekend and this was a big party high school. Top football school in Texas. Uh, high school in Texas. Drew Brees played for our high school team. So you can imagine the type of parties that we had. Right. And I got a call from a friend saying, are you coming out to the party this weekend? And I said that I didn't think I could because I had so much homework. And he, he mentioned that since I take Adderall, why don't I just come to the party and then Sunday night I can take a bunch of it, stay up and get all my work done. I didn't know that about the drug. Mm. And I said, well, if I can do that, why don't I just come to the party and take it there too? And when I took it, I loved it. I mean, I absolutely loved it because my idea of what it was to be the, you know, the man I was supposed to be was my yeah. idea of my father. And he's this highly successful type A personality. Mm-hmm. He has his way of doing things and they're the right way of doing things. And, and I wasn't, they, they weren't my way of doing it. But when I took this medicine, it made me this type A personality that could hyper-focus on individual tasks have no uh, lack of energy, just be up going 110% yeah. for 24 hours. And not only that, because it's an amphetamine, it made me not want to eat. So mm. I found a, an outside source, a pill, that was gonna fix every one of the problems I saw in myself. Mm. And I got so attached to this medicine, this drug, and I, I used it to lose weight, I used it to change who, myself to who I thought I needed to be, to make my parents happy, to make myself happy, to make right. the world accept me, yeah. and I did not want to give it up. And and even in high school, I would I would steal meds from my parents' uh, cabinet. I would steal it from my brother. Um, but uh, it didn't. It, you know, the the drug worked beautifully in high school, yeah. and I got uh, scholarships to college for art. Um, and I, but in college, is when the drugs started to not work anymore. And my tolerance had gone way up, and I started needing more and more, and it also started to become more and more important. Mm. And uh, important and I, how? Like it, it was just becoming more. Of, it became more of an importance in my life than the the passions that I was using it for. Gotcha. And uh, I started doctor shopping, which is where you have multiple doctors prescribing you the same medicine without them knowing about each other. Mm. It's very illegal. I started forging prescriptions. Um, and uh, I ended up dropping out of school because I was able to acquire a job in the film industry as a sophomore. And I was telling my dad, it's like, look, if I already have a job working with you know, movie stars, um, you know, why don't I just go ahead and get started? But really the reason was like, I had found a way to get out of school, start making money and be able to buy more drugs and also mm. be back home in Austin where my dealers were. Gotcha. So I went back home and it wasn't very long until you know the drugs came became so important that uh, I lost my job and at this
0: point, sorry to interrupt, yeah. but like at this point when you were like leaving school and um do you feel like you were aware that you were making decisions based solely on the drug, or do you yeah, feel like I, you were kind of lying to yourself oh, about absolutely. like this is this is okay, like this actually makes sense, and yeah.
1: Because I wasn't just dropping out of school for no reason. I was dropping out of a school, out of school for, a, for a job on a big movie with movie stars and, and uh, a producer that said that he saw something in me and all mm-hmm. this stuff. And I was like, well, I'm getting this because the drug.
3: Mm.
1: You know. So obviously the drug is the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, and out of college is when it really just... There's a point when you're an addict to amphetamines when it all comes crashing down. Yeah when your adrenal glands are so blown out and your metabolism is so destroyed that it doesn't matter how much you take you're gonna have an insane appetite and binge eating is a a symptom of when you're off of your amphetamines Mm -hmm. and i immediately started this uh, abusive relationship with fast food uh six mcdonald's cheeseburgers a day um eating you know breakfast tacos every morning like six of them and uh drinking about nine to ten regular sodas a day and uh the weight just started to to pile on and i started to feel horrible about myself i started to just sort of hide away in my apartment which became this filthy hoarder-esque apartment just covered with fast food garbage and i lost my job and i started Buying more drugs and and bin shopping online, and my money just started going away. And my relationship with my dad had never been worse.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask about that when you were on the drug, and you said it made you feel like you were the, finally the person that yeah. you felt like your parents wanted you to be. Did you feel like your dad was actually more proud of you in those moments?
1: I think that in you know when or he when he time. dropped me off in college. Uh, I remember him like looking at him and, and noticing how proud he was. Mm-hmm. But after college, when the weight came on, now I'm gonna attribute this. When I was a, when I in, in the moment, mm-hmm. I believed it was all because of the weight. Right. I was getting too fat for him, and and you know how could someone who's a founder of Whole Foods Market be seen with a kid who's three hundred pounds and, and yeah. filthy and smells bad all the time and because when you're on that much drugs, and let me explain to you how much I was taking. The average prescription amount is somewhere between 20 to 40 or in, in, in some cases, 60 milligrams a day. By the time I was like 26 years old, I was taking 450 milligrams a day. Wow. And uh, not all at one time, about 120 milligrams at a time. Um, but it, that's, I mean, if you know this, this drug and, and people who do know it, like I, I've been working in treatment now for over two years and I've been in recovery for four years and I have yes. still never met someone who when I tell them that amount doesn't just like their jaw hit the floor. And, uh, I mean, and
0: that's when you're telling that to people who like deal who with are, addiction. Who are like regularly. serious
1: addicts. And, wow. And, uh, you know, um, uh, I, I know that all my money was going away. I spent all of my Whole Foods stock. I sold it all and bought drugs with it, and uh, like I said, I was uh, raised in a, a very fortunate situation. Growing up, I didn't have to, to want for a lot of things. My dad certainly never didn't spoil me, mm-hmm. but I didn't ever have to struggle or feel like I needed to struggle for, for finances. Right. And here I was facing homelessness in a month, and uh, I knew that I didn't have the, cur- the, the, the skills to make it on the street. Um, and at this time, my dad, Whole Foods Market was starting this program with these crazy plant eating people named the Esselstyns. <laughs> and uh, Rip had written this book, and, and this was going to be the very first immersion. Yeah. And my dad said, Will you please go to this thing? I can get you in because it's only available to Whole Foods Market team members. I can get you in. I really want you to go. The reason I went was not because I was going because I was interested, <clears throat> interested in, in the immersion. Yeah. I was going because I felt if I said no, he would stop giving me money. Oh, wow. And, uh, and I went and I was, like I said, I was 300 pounds. They, they kept doing my blood pressure and they, they, they just couldn't believe it because it was so high. Yeah. I was on Adderall, which, I mean, just your heart rate goes to the roof. You're, if you're overweight and probably have blockages in your heart, <laughs> imagine what your blood pressure is normally, but on that, it's even worse. Um, and I went to all the event, all the uh, Talks, lectures yeah. and, and, and the demos and everything, but I didn't socialize with anyone. And I remember seeing Rip's face, and he's even told me that when he saw me and when he met me and said like he just couldn't even be around me because I smelled so bad because when you're on that much toxic drugs yeah, it just comes pouring out of you and when you sweat it smells really bad and he said that he'd never seen anyone that seemed like such a lost cause hmm. and uh, wow. I sort of just hid away from everyone there and didn't connect with the experience I was using my drug was using the same dangerous amounts but I remember there was a speaker there named Dick Beardsley who is a Hall of Fame marathoner, Uh and he gave a presentation about how, after he suffered these, a series of really horrible injuries, and became an addict to pain pills, and I remember thinking to myself, I need to walk up to this guy and have him be the first person I admit that I'm a drug addict to, and I was so close to doing it, but I didn't do it, and as a result, I went another two, three years being a drug addict. I was able to get my dad to continue giving me money but he finally cut me off and here I am facing homelessness again and I don't think I was trying to kill myself but I I don't know if I was or not but I took an insane amount of uh, Adderall one night and I overdosed
2: and uh it was the scariest feeling I've ever had because I,
1: I really thought I was dying and I passed out and I woke up the next morning on the floor in this like puddle of my own vomit and in this filthy apartment surrounded by junk food wrappers and like the windows blocked out because I didn't want people looking in and seeing how gross my apartment was. And I, ca- I went to the hospital and found out that it, in fact it was an overdose and I hid it from my parents. Um, and I called my dad and said, you know, I need help. And, and here's a guy who, at that point, I was just treating like an ATM. Uh, here's a guy who, to be honest, and I remember thinking this way, saying, you know, I'm, I'm an absolute loser, and I'm never gonna make anything of myself. But thankfully, my parents are rich, and when, I die, when they die, I'll get their money. I hate that I ever thought that way. Yeah. Um, and and when I called him and said I needed help, the only thing he said to me was, don't worry, Adam, I'm gonna take care of it. And two weeks later, he he and my mom walked me into rehab. And I, you know, they can walk you in, but they can't like go in with you. Mm-hmm. So I I walked back with the technician into what what, at uh, CR Tucson is called MAS, but it's a medical, Qu- quarantined area where you're going to spend at least the 20, first 24 hours of your stay, and uh, it, what they do is they they search your bags, they strip search you, they do these like body checks to make sure that you know you don't have any injuries because you know, a lot of people come off the street. Um, uh, they also do full uh, bio screenings because they want to see if you have any diseases or conditions that you're not aware of. Right. Um, and at the 24 hour mark, I got a call from the doctor and he, he asked me to come into his office and I went in and he said, you know, you didn't mention on your form that you're a type two diabetic. And I, I didn't know and I said, I'm not a type two diabetic. You know, cause here I am, I'm, I still have this arrogance that I believe I'm invincible. Right. And um, he said, well, your blood sugar is over 350. You're over 320 pounds your blood pressure is through the roof and your cholesterol is very high. Um, you know, you're, you have some serious issues. And, you know, I can deny the addiction and the depression. It's not trackable. There's no number. Um, they do mood tests and, and, and stuff like that, psych tests where you answer these questions and then they say, oh, you're on the chronically, you know, uh, depressed scale. Yeah. But all the questions are so damn subjective. Like, you're an <laughs> arrogant, you know, entitled person, I could say, oh, well, it's just a bullshit test. Yeah. But here was, you know, you, I couldn't deny the numbers on the page. And I had to, right then and there, for the very first time in my life, truly accept responsibility for my situation in life. Because unlike every, a lot of people that have been coming there, I had attended the immersion where I learned that all of those conditions are my fault, that mm. none of them have anything to do with my genetics. So um, you had
0: held on to that information? You had like paid attention oh, while paid you were there. Oh, I paid attention.
1: Yeah, I mean, like I said, I was on a lot of Adderall. So what else was <laughs> I gonna do? <laughs> That's
0: so true. <laughs> you were like probably the best student there. You probably learned the most out of anyone.
1: <laughs> so um, I said, I, I remember it really affecting me, being yeah. so ashamed, and I already had a lot of shame around being. The, the physical person that I was in yeah. the family that I come from. And, and I called my dad and, I, and I, I remember being so ashamed to tell him. And he said, well, Adam, you know, even if this is true, all right, so let's say that you are type 2 diabetic. And because he was trying to keep me calm. He yeah. goes, you know that this isn't permanent. yeah You know that all you have to do is change the way you eat and, and that it's reversible. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking that if I'm the problem, then I get to be the solution. Yes. And yeah, that's
0: such a special place of empowerment to ex- like a, such a good mindset and knowledge to have because I feel like so many people, you know if they're in a place of shame already and then they get know, this extra news, it's just like it feels it's like, like the
1: universe is out to get. Yeah me. Not, it can't be my fault. right. So, but the problem with thinking that way, the problem with thinking that it's something or someone else's fault that you are in the situation you're in is that when you believe that and you also believe there's nothing you can do about it mm-hmm. but if if you realize that everything about where you are well not, there are some people that are in some very unfortunate situations but right. most of the, the the time your situation in life is a result of the actions that, that you've decided to take right and because of that it is 100 percent within your within your uh capability of just changing those actions that you do on a daily basis in order to get yourself out of it
0: right it's not about blaming yourself for what has happened in the past it's about looking forward in like that place of empowerment where it's like you can change this like you have it within your power it's not so
1: much at all about fixing the old as Mm -hmm. much as it is creating the new yes and uh that became my goal that became my mission i said this number is going to go away yeah all of them are going to go away. That's going to be my enemy. That's what I'm going to fight on a daily basis. Cause I needed something that I could see.
3: Mm, on, needed like I that needed measurable, that trackable yeah. enemy.
1: And, um, that's what it became for me. And now in rehab, there's not a lot I could do. And also I didn't really know what to do right. that much. I didn't know all the recipes I, you know, so in, in rehab I did, you know, I would do oatmeal with some egg whites in the morning, which I know isn't plant-strong thing, but this was just my way of becoming accustomed to it, and, uh, and I would try and, and put in as much vegetables as I could, because yeah. there just wasn't a lot of options. It wasn't yeah. like I could have a baked potato every day, or right. beans, and there wasn't a, a wide variety of fruit and, and stuff like mm. that, um, but they did have a lot of yogurt and string cheese and all this stuff, and I avoided most of that, um, but when I left rehab, um, and I also remember that there was a family week there that was incredibly difficult. And it was there that my parents said, look, if you wanna leave rehab and go back to Austin, uh, go ahead, but we are gonna refuse to help you out at all financially. Um, If you do what the treatment centers are recommending, which is you move from here to California, you don't come back home and you move into a a halfway house, a sober living, Mm -hmm. we will pay for the sober living and you can continue your treatment. Otherwise, you know, look, it's your decision. But good luck. And I'm so, I I really didn't want that to happen. I did not want to go to treat, to sober living. I had all yeah. these plans of going home and, and, and honestly getting my drug. Mm. Because I was, I still hadn't accepted that I was a drug addict.
0: How long was the, um, the rehab program?
1: Like- I stayed there 37 days, but... Normally, you're there for 28 to 30 days, okay. uh, but there are people that, that were there six months. Yeah, um, I was going
0: to say 28 to 30 days seems like a short amount of time.
1: Yeah, it's not. And, and, and to be honest, rehab is not where you, you do your work to Uh-oh. change your behavior. Okay. Rehab is a place that you go to to safely detox, okay. to be in a safe environment where they get you off your drug. You do therapy sessions. You do work to start to understand the issues that you have and then from there make the best, create the best course of treatment for you. So whether it's moving into sober living, whether it's staying a little bit longer in rehab uh, because you've just refused to accept whatever issues, which I was doing a lot of, um, but rehab doesn't fix anything. Rehab is where you learn what you need to do to start your path to recovery. Um, and so I went to sober living and I went to a very nice sober living in California in, on the beach in Santa Monica. And I, and I walked in and I looked at the pantries in the kitchen. And it literally looked like they asked a teenager from the 90s who did nothing but watch Nickelodeon to stock this, this, uh, this kitchen with food. And it was, you know, tombstone pizzas, pizzas and Totino's uh, pizza rolls and uh, Eggo waffles and regular sodas. I mean, it was everything that I couldn't eat. And very little of, of things that I could. And what they did have was like, you know, iceberg lettuce. Yeah. Like I can't eat that, enough of that. Right. To, for it to work. And um, and I went up to the manager and told them, look, uh, I'm a type 2 diabetic and I'm very sick. I have high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and I'm trying this, this plant-based diet thing. Um, I also signed a contract saying that you will provide food for me to eat. And I can't eat these other foods because of my illnesses. But... I need, I need you to provide me with foods I can eat." And he said, okay, well, what do you need? And I looked at him and I told him, I don't really, you know, I've never really done this before. And there's not a lot that I do like, but I know what I like. I like oatmeal in the mornings. I like black beans, broccoli, and fruit. And so that's what I ate every single day for 10 months. And it was really difficult. Because I'm, like I I mentioned before, I'm seventh generation Texan. It was football season. I was surrounded by a bunch of 20-something-year-old guys all watching football, eating their pizza Mm. and drinking their sodas, and and I was crying about it. And I didn't understand why was it so difficult. Uh, Why was it so difficult for me to... Eat the, eat the way I needed to eat, when everyone else is able to eat whatever they want, and be happy and look thin and, and all that stuff, why for me, why am I in this miserable situation? And that's when I read The Pleasure Trap, mm. uh, which completely changed my understanding of what was going on. Yeah, it's
0: such a good book.
1: And it taught me the one, what I believe is the one invariable truth to lifestyle change, that every single day I have to wake up and be comfortable being uncomfortable.
0: Yeah, that's basically your motto, right? That's my motto, like, <laughs> yeah.
1: Be comfortable being uncomfortable. If, if I can do that on a daily basis, then my chances for success are incredibly high. If I can't, I just might as well not even try.
0: What does that look like for you? Like now, you know, we were just talking about how like you, you love the way that you eat now. Oh, like you it, yeah. wake up and you want to eat this way. Yeah. So how do you still feel like every single day you make yourself uncomfortable?
1: Well, you know, I uh, today it's about trying to to push myself to do the next hardest thing, and Mm -hmm. and that's why I believe for me fitness has become such a thing for me. Mm. And a lot of I've noticed a lot of addicts switch to endurance uh, sports, and that's become something I'm doing. I'm doing marathons and things like that. Mm -hmm. And and I think the great thing about running is that that's exactly what it is. You have to be comfortable pushing your body being uncomfortable for a very long time yeah and it's not only that it's 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 such a connection to yourself and to your breath um and being in the moment recognizing where every foot is being placed and that there's a purpose for stepping there yes and you're connected with the environment but but and it's it's all the moment It's not what's going to happen five minutes from now and it's not what happened earlier. You have to be completely present. What is this person thinking about me at this moment? I have to be present or otherwise my breath is going to start, you know, I'm going to start losing connection to my breath and I'm going to get tired or my pace is going to be off and I'm going to wear myself out too early. Mm -hmm. I have a goal of running for a certain amount of time. In order to do that, I have to be very focused and connected to myself and be comfortable with being aware of, of my surroundings. And for someone who's ADHD and not medicated anymore. Um, that's a very important tool to have, to be aware of when my mind is wandering, be aware of when I'm not focused on my singular task at hand. And, uh, and I think for me, running is very much a practice in mindful meditation. Yes. Um, but you know, thanks to Doug Lyle's book, The Pleasure Trap, uh, I was able to recognize that every single day when I woke up and I prepared this meal, That maybe i wasn't comfortable with eating at first but it was an act of self-care it was Mm -hmm. an act of self-love it was me making a a a statement to myself saying i'm going to be happier and healthier today than i was yesterday by doing this and that's an act of sobriety that's an act of recovery it's an affirmation through action yes and that's an important that's an important tool that i was teaching myself Mm -hmm. and within three months my blood sugar now, I was on the, the highest dosage of metformin. And when you're on that much metformin and you switch to a completely plant-based diet, yeah. your blood sugar drops like a rocket.
0: Right. I'm sure you had to be really careful in adjusting that.
1: Yeah. So my blood sugar... It can sugar, be
0: dangerous because people can actually go too low. Yeah,
1: that's what happened. I was in the 60s. And when you're in the low 60s, your blood sugar, you don't feel good. Yeah. And, um, and I said, you know what, I, I don't need this medicine anymore. And I just, I tossed it. And at the four month mark, I went to go see my doctor. Yeah. And I, it was, this is so hilarious because <laughs> he took my blood sugar and he looked at it and it was 80, like two. Mm-hmm. And he goes, wow, you know, your blood sugar looks great. This medicine's really working for you. And the look of shock on his face was like, even he was surprised, like he's never seen this medicine work right. before, you know? <laughs> and I looked at him, I said, no, that's not what it is. It's, uh, I switched to a plant-based diet and uh, I said, you know, that's, it's a vegan, it's a form of veganism, uh, but, you know, only foods in their whole natural state, no oil, no added sugar. Right. And he looked at me, and he goes, well, that, that makes sense. And, <laughs> you know, look, uh, he recognized that I'm a person coming straight out of rehab. Yeah. I was very sick. Uh, I was on antidepressants, mood stabilizers, sleeping medications, ADHD medications, blood pressure, blood sugar, high cholesterol. Um, for him, the safest thing that he could do was say, just take this in the morning. Yeah. Because that gets my blood sugar down to where I'm not doing damage to my body tissue anymore. Right. Maybe if I wasn't a person who was in straight out of rehab, he would have suggested you can also do this. But I think he was just being safe with me. Yeah. Um, but I looked at him and I said, you know, I, I just don't, I don't think I need your services anymore. I really think I'm okay. And, yeah. and I said, thank you for everything. And I walked out. And uh, I felt so good. And at this point I was down, you know, 50 pounds. I started to see a person in the mirror that I liked. I remember going shopping and my dad came to visit me and we went out to like Fashion Island in, in Newport. Uh-huh. And like he was so proud of me that like he got this like private shopper, personal shopper and he was <laughs> like, just like get everything you need. And, and uh, it, was, it was amazing and now, I think he, re- after that trip, he realized that since I was still losing weight, that maybe that wasn't the brightest idea. <laughs> yeah, right. But, um, but I, I, I remember seeing that him being so proud, mm-hmm. and I didn't at that moment I didn't attribute to the fact that it was because I was thinner. Right. It was because he knew that I had done this for myself. Yeah. And, uh, you know, at that moment, uh, I turned to him and said, you know. I feel so good about the way that I feel. And, you know, I was a pretty big drug addict. And this look of shock on his face, (laughs) like he, I had never said to him before that I'm a drug addict. Yeah. And, and at that moment, like our relationship became something, started to become something that has never been before. Over the course of the 10 months, I lost 100 pounds. In a year, I was off all medications I was put on in rehab. And, you know, it's my... I, I know that I have become a person that I never imagined myself becoming. And look, for people who may be listening to your podcast, who, like, I know the shame. Yeah. And and I know how it feels to believe that you are in a hole so deep that you can never crawl out of, that you can never be the person that you were before. Mm-hmm. And my honest opinion of that is that they're 100% right. You will never be the person you were right. before. Right, yeah. If you... If you want to get out of that hole, you have to become someone that you've never been before. And it's the greatest thing you'll ever do for yourself. Mm-hmm. I wake up every single day and I with this enthusiasm and excitement and anticipation for the day. And look, on a day-to-day basis, I still have no idea what I'm doing. But like, <laughs> yeah. like in, in terms of my journey for life, but I know what I need to do. Right. And, and, and I think that that is the biggest th- realization for me is that discipline is just choosing between what you want now and what you want most mm-hmm. and every single day I get up and I say what do I need to do for me today to be successful and you know it's it's been this incredible thing and, and I remember um, one of the things I want to talk about is that you know, my dad's been very healthy his whole life he's been a, a marathon runner
3: mm-hmm.
1: and I want to make it I want to help people understand that you cannot outrun the standard american diet yeah absolutely and the standard american diet you know i talk a lot about drug addiction but the reason why i think plant-based uh nutrition works so well in addiction is because and it and it, and it works well with everyone is because if you're on the standard american diet you are suffering from a substance abuse and uh it's and the problem is is that it's a socially encouraged substance abuse right my dad do so you think
0: everyone who eats standard american diet you would consider that to be some form of food addiction?
1: I would call it a drug addiction. Drug addiction, okay. Because we're talking about foods that... Because food is a
0: drug sometimes.
1: But not only that, we're talking about foods that create the same dopamine response in the brain as cocaine and heroin. Right. And we're talking about substances that are addictive, destructive, Mm -hmm. create disease in the body, and eventually lead to death. I don't see it in any other way but a drug. And the problem is that everybody wants you to do this and encourages you to do this. So it's... Right. It's so difficult, but... You know a few years before I went into rehab my dad suffered a major stroke Mm. Um, this is a person who's run multiple marathons uh and and had been a runner every single day for his his, my entire life yeah
0: well sometimes I mean it is even more dangerous for someone to be a runner yeah a, a distance runner a marathon runner a competitive athlete if they're eating a standard American diet, because even though, to, because to them, if they have a fit physique, it makes them think that they have
2: right. a healthy
0: body, but what's going on inside is far from healthy. And if you're pushing your body to that extreme, you haven't created that internal environment that's healthy enough to get your body to do all those things. That's why people who are marathoners, like die crossing the line and stuff. Yeah. It's because they've had high cholesterol exactly. and didn't know it. That's
1: why people think that marathon running is so unhealthy. Right. It's not unhealthy. Yeah. If you're properly fueled, your body can handle it. Um, but uh, yeah, he suffered this m- massive stroke and, and my brother and I and my whole family and, and, and you know everyone was there. John Mackey was in the hospital waiting with us and, and so many people, family members. And there's a two and a half hour window mm-hmm. that you have to get the clot out and get the blood circulation back into the brain. After that two and a half hour mark, you start to the person the the person suffering the stroke will have permanent damage and we're approaching the three hour mark and the nurse comes out and pulls my brother and i aside and says we just want to prepare you for what you're looking looking at uh we don't have the clot out yet um the the surgeon wanted to give up but my one of my dad's best friends is a very well respected doctor in austin and Mm -hmm. walked in and said that's my best friend on the table. I don't care how long it takes you getting the clot out. And uh, the nurse said, here's what you're looking at. 90% of people who suffer this kind of stroke don't live 24 hours. The, the remaining 10% will either never walk, never talk, or both. Um, and they walked back into, the, into the, the operating area. Yeah. And five minutes later they came back out And they grabbed me and they said, look, we don't know what happened, Mm -hmm. but your dad is checking his email on his phone. (laughs) And he has, apparently, like when you're young, when you're born, your brain has all these extravascular cavities that help feed blood flow to the brain to help your brain develop. And they sort of recede over time. Apparently my dad's never did. So when they got the clot out, It immediately flooded his entire brain with blood and he was able to get, you know, to recover incredibly fast. And he has every like now and then, a few times a day, I'll notice this little tremor in his left hand. Mm -hmm. That's the remaining side effect. And he ran the New York Marathon a year after it. But my point is that I'm so grateful for what I've been through and the relationship that I have with my dad now because he's not just my dad, he's my best friend, he's my running partner. I've experienced moments where I've been running with him and recognizing that right now I'm sharing a passion of my dad's that he has is, he is only shared with himself. Mm-hmm. And I'm in the moment with my dad right now and that's something I've never done and just felt this incredible connection that I'd never felt before. And realizing that because of the standard American diet, I almost lost my dad before we were able to reconcile our our issues.
0: And almost lost yourself.
1: And few years later, I almost lost. My, he almost lost me. And uh, I've seen my dad cry, maybe a handful of times, in my entire life. One was when my grandmother died from an accident, his mm-hmm. mom. The other time was when he had the stroke. And the uh, the last time was when we were in family week at. Uh, in rehab, and they asked him, how would you feel if your son died of a drug overdose?
2: And he couldn't even answer. This is a person who I've never seen get emotional except for anger. Mm -hmm. Um, And he's going to be at the immersion in May. He's never seen me give my presentation. And I can't wait to tell him and my mom that because of what they gave me and give me the opportunity to learn about plant-based nutrition and go to rehab Mm -hmm. that they never have to worry about losing me to a drug addiction and because they've adopted a a plant-based lifestyle i don't have to worry about losing him to a stroke and i don't blame them for any of any of the uh like my addiction or mm-hmm. or my weight gain or the anger that I had towards myself or towards them. But what they are responsible for is being the heroes that I needed them to be for me to get sober and be the person that I love for the first time.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: This is the strongest medicine in the world and it is amazing how the symbolist change on your forehead can be the most profound change in your life. Because I can tell you this for sure, I may be sober today if I hadn't adopted a plant-based lifestyle. There's a possibility.
3: Yeah.
1: But I guarantee you I wouldn't be happy and healthy.
2: Yeah. And I certainly wouldn't be on a podcast with you right now. Right. And helping people, you know, I became a certified lifestyle coach and plant-based nutritionist and... Uh,
1: I'm t- my mission is to bring plant-based message to the r- world of uh, addiction recovery mm-hmm. because I look at the people that I went through addiction recovery with and so many of them, I've lost five friends in the last three years to drug addiction. Um, one of them was two weeks ago. Oh, wow.
3: um,
1: most of them, the people who I've gone through recovery with have gained weight, gone on more medications gone on higher doses of the medications that they're already on, gone back into rehab. People that just were, looked like they were doing so amazingly well. Mm-hmm. And then something happens and, and I believe it's because they're trying to be the person that they were before yeah. but without the drug. right? And they're on these medications that make them feel bad, that makes them feel sick. It has these side effects. And
2: they go through recovery and they're like, I feel worse sober than I ever did on my drug and I'm gaining weight. I hate this person who I am but, and everyone wants me to stop doing my drug, but I felt so much better when I was on it. What's the point of this? Yeah, And I look at my
1: experience in recovery and there's only one difference. My environment that I live in is one of a plant-based environment. Mm-hmm. There's a great quote from Simon Sinek. He says, when the environment is right, Everyone has the capacity for remarkable change. And I think that that sums up plant-based nutrition so well because it has nothing to do with your genes.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: And what a disservice it was that these other people that have gone through recovery, that I went through recovery with, weren't able to hear the message of plant-based nutrition because we all lived in the same house. We all were doing the same thing. The only difference was their environment was a standard American diet. Mine was completely plant-based. And as a result, I have become someone that I've never been before. And I'm not, I'm not trying to judge them or believe that I know exactly yeah, who yeah. they are. But a lot of them seem to be like they're trying to be the person they always were, but without the drug that they needed to get through their lives. Right. And I think that that's a misstep in, in addiction recovery, not addressing the environment. Because in my opinion, if the environment is sick, it doesn't matter how much medicine you throw on it. The person who lives in a sick environment will always be sick. It mm-hmm. doesn't matter how, how medicated they are because the, their environment creates disease. When you live in an environment that creates health and wellness and prevents disease, and not only prevents it, but treats and reverses it,
3: yeah.
1: medicine isn't necessary. Right. And the medicines that you're on become unnecessary. Mm-hmm. And the person that you are becomes something that you've never imagined becoming before and it's it's amazing and and it's it's interesting because I and I, I notice this a lot from people is that people who go plant-based become minimalists mm-hmm. because and I think that that's that's something that I've found until my brother moved in with me um, <laughs> is that I have really like not having things I don't need around me mm-hmm. because I can sit in a place and be quiet and 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 be grateful for just Who I am as a living person in in the world that I have, in the life that I have. And that's all I want. My dream, people say, if you, all right, let's say you won the lottery, what would you do? I'd say, I'd get a small place with no furniture and a bed, and I'd just teach plant based nutrition to addicts and I'd have them come live with me. Yeah. Like, that's all I want. That's all I want is just a small little quiet place with nothing in it. And And
0: how do you feel that plant based nutrition leads to that type of mindset?
1: because so much of the standard american diet is about excess yeah it's about how much how much more can we make how much bigger can this bacon sandwich be yeah you know let's make three patties and then six strips of bacon Mm -hmm. and and then it'll be the perfect burger right that's ridiculous yeah like for me when i make a sweet potato you know right now my mom is in the transition Mm -hmm. in the process of transitioning to a plant-based diet she's been doing it for a while she's doing really great but she's still in, under the mindset that you have to have all these ingredients yeah everything has to be covered in everything for me I just I just want a baked sweet potato I want cinnamon on it and that's it yeah because <laughs> it is so perfect in everything that it is yes. and and I get like people think that it takes this Spartanist strength of will me right. to sit down to these foods and eat and it's it couldn't be further from the truth right yeah like it's ex- this a, is
0: exactly what I want I don't like,
1: <laughs> yeah there's like a like I've seen Robbie around his food Mm -hmm. and I've seen you know I know the way that I get when I make my meals like there's this Pavlovian response where like just starts salivating I'm just like oh my god I've never been happier than this moment right now because and it's not just about the experience of pleasure that you get from food Mm -hmm. but it's also about everything that that food represents yes that because of this (laughs) this plate I've been able to create the life that I have it is the fuel that creates the life that I have right now. And I'm also not contributing to the destruction of the environment mm-hmm. and to the 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 treatment the cruel treatment of animals, and people talk about you know ethically raised animals and and fine, look, you want to believe that they're raised in a kind fashion, that's fine, but explain to me how there's any kind or ethical way to take the life of an animal that doesn't want to die right when you can explain that to me right. then we'll talk and you yeah can't.
0: it's like it's like food it it becomes something completely get different, it becomes so much more, like yeah. at one time it was like this, this thing that tasted good but was kind of like a guilty pleasure type of thing, like exactly. you used to feel like you had to hide it if you wanted more of it, and then it becomes this thing that it's like, this tastes amazing, this is exactly what I want to eat, it's also the best nourishment for my body, it's the best nourishment for the earth. It's like. It's it becomes. It's the kindest this, diet. Yes. Yeah. It becomes an act of kindness, an act of self love, an act of environmentalism. Like it just becomes. It's a,
1: amazing how the diet that just so happens to be the best diet for your health also just so happens to be the best diet for the an environment and also just so happens to be the kindest diet that you yeah. can eat. Uh, it, it's amazing. Like I hate to be one of these people that says that, that a plant based diet fixes all the problems, but it kind of seems like it does. <laughs> yeah. I'm with you. So, and not only that, you know, in Dr. Greger's book, How mm-hmm. Not to Die, he talks about the benefits of a plant based diet in depression and mood disorders. That these negligent long chain omega 6 fatty acids, these arachidonic acids mm-hmm. that create neuroinflammation or swelling of the brain that come from animal foods, yeah. um, that when you, when you reduce your omega 6 fatty acids, especially the arachidonic acid, when you get rid of it, The swelling of the brain goes down. We know that swelling of the brain, the inflammation of the brain causes depression, causes anxiety, causes stress. Yeah. And that a plant-based diet has been proven to improve mood tests and mood scores. Mm -hmm. Um, And I love how he says that, well, what about all the other diets that that show improvement? (laughs) Well, there aren't any. Right. And and it's hard to cherry pick when there's only one cherry. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I think that the next frontier for plant-based nutrition is mental health. Yes. Because, like T. Colin Campbell says, the body's not compartmentalized. Mm-hmm. Everything is connected, and right—you all-
0: can't selectively heal one thing. If you're right. if you're healing your heart, you're healing your blood pressure. You're healing. Yeah, you're your- healing your liver. You're <laughs> yeah. healing your
1: kidneys. Uh, everything is connected. Um, inflammation in one area of the body is inflammation everywhere, and that there's really only one disease. Yes. Malnutrition. Mm. And everything else is a symptom of that. Well, the mind and the body are connected. If you are, have a diseased body, then I believe that you have a diseased mind at the same time. And what's great is that when you heal the body, you start to heal the mind as well. Yeah. What a powerful tool that can be for anyone in recovery to know that just by making a meal, which they have to do. Right. At least three times a day. Right. Luckily, when you're plant-based, you get to do it a lot more. <laughs> um, that that is the, the greatest form of medicine. And that, uh, like I said before, the simple change on your fork can be the most profound change of your yeah. life and it's it puts you so in a positive beautiful. form of
0: Yes. So, yeah. so wait, let's go through, just to like line it up, like the yeah. physical changes, but then I want to talk about the mental and emotional yeah. changes that you went through. But so the physical changes, like how much total weight did you, I feel like you're at a very stable weight now. So like yeah, what was so your total I, weight that you lost?
1: Uh, well, I started at around, it was 320, 320 something, yeah. something like that. Um, and. Uh, today I weigh 160 pounds, so 160 pounds I lost my current body weight. Yeah. Um, and uh, that, I think I lost 100 pounds in the first year. Mhm. And then, you know, like I really stopped weighing myself after yeah. a while, and it just sort of started to slowly come off. Um, and then there was like I went and lived in Nepal for a little bit, mm-hmm. and um, when I was there, my weight was a lot lower than it is now. Um, just because I was living at eight thousand feet.
0: Right. What were you uh, doing in Nepal?
1: I was uh, I was living in an orphanage and working with orphans because after rehab and after sober living, I tried to go back to work in the film industry. Yeah. And it just made me feel so uncomfortable because yeah. I used to do so much of my drug on film sets to right. try and outdo everyone. It's like
0: that environment you're talking about. You gotta yeah. change
1: it. It was just. It, and also, I realized that the passions that I had that were drug fueled were pretty much that. They were drug-fueled passions. They weren't real passions, Mm. and I'm not, like I said, I'm not the same person anymore, and I didn't know what I wanted to do, so I thought maybe the best way to learn something about myself is to do something selfless, and I always wanted to travel to India and Nepal, and I found a way to volunteer at a orphanage, and in return, they let me live there.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. That's awesome.
1: All I had to do was get myself there, and... um, uh, I, I asked my brother to to come with me because he's a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And it was like the best, like two and a half months ever. Uh, it was in the, the town of Pokhara, which is the second largest city in Nepal, but it's much smaller than Kathmandu. Mm-hmm. And we were in Lakeside, which is on this lake in this like little village area with these amazingly beautiful kids. And one of the things I noticed was, because oh, I was practicing... This is going to sound so cheesy, but it's true. Uh, A lot of my mornings I would start by practicing yoga with this yogi on the lake in Pokhara. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to use it as a way of learning something about myself. And every morning I would would ask the universe, I would ask myself, what do I want to do? Where do I see myself in five years? Which is such a ridiculous question if you think about it, because apparently we can't see beyond... (laughs) like two weeks of our own future but um that's what I was doing uh and it was one session when like, I want to call I call it an epiphany some people want to call it a god shot um you know you call it what you want yeah a message from the universe But I got these flashes of I know that 95% of my time I'm just thinking about food and how it affects my life and the people around me and I saw addiction recovery, and I saw my dad, and I saw Whole Foods Market, and um, and uh, I realized that I don't want to be involved in film at all anymore. I want to bring plant-based nutrition to the addiction recovery world, and I also want to work with my father. And it's pretty amazing what has happened over the course of the next year and a half from there, is that... Not only have I be, did not only did I go home and become certified in, in uh, as an addiction group facilitator and mm-hmm. a lifestyle coach and a nutritionist but now I, I I work with engine 2 which is partnered with Whole Foods market yes and so I'm I, every time I'm home like when I go to the Whole Foods corporate office a lot of times it's not to see my dad right it's to go have lunch with rip yes. or or you know see some of the other people that are there and and John Mackey has a book coming out next year Mm -hmm. um and i'm lucky enough to uh to be in that book and 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 mylon ross is in it as well so awesome, Um, and uh just like to have someone like because john is an interesting character yeah um and to have someone who is like my dad's best friend who is someone my dad is very fond of and and to have his friends my dad's friends you're like, dude, your son is killing it. <laughs> like, that's amazing. Yeah,
0: that just feels so good. It
1: feels so good. And uh, yeah, but when I was living there, you know, I was running every morning. I was doing yoga and I was eating a plant-based diet at 8,000 feet when I came home. I was like 155 pounds. Yeah. And I wanted to understand the science of how do I build muscle mass on a plant-based diet because everyone's like, oh, you can't do it. There's not enough protein. Well, you totally can. <laughs> right, of course. And I got up to about 185 pounds uh, just building muscle over the mm-hmm. next like six months. And then I realized that that's not really what I wanted. I don't want to consume that much food all yeah. the time. And, and so I just switched back to what I was eating, and the weight came back down to 160, 165. And that's where I stay. Yeah. And, uh, but the medicines, I mean, like the diabetes went away so fast. It was crazy. <laughs> like within the first week, my numbers dropped 150 points mm. in one week.
0: Yeah, it, wow.
1: I mean, it's, it was... It's
0: it, like it's like if you tell that to people who are used to the standard uh, medical field and, like, the, the standard um, rate of results that people get when they're on medication, that yeah. sounds crazy. It's it like, sounds, oh, that's ridiculous. Impossible. There's no way that could happen. Like, you or, must or be lying. All, it would only
1: happen to you. There's something about your genes. Right. It's like, yeah. There's like something about my genes that gave me 350 <laughs> blood sugar as well, right? Yeah. Um, no, I mean, it dropped... 150 points in the first week and by the time I was I guess the first month was over I was you know under 120 which Mm -hmm. is technically you want to be under 100 but as long as you're under 120 your blood sugar is not toxic to your body yeah and you know by month two was when it really started to get low and Mm -hmm. I was like I had to carry around bananas with me Oh. Which, you know, you don't want to eat as a diabetic. <laughs> of course, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so because my blood sugar would just, would just it would feel like I was just getting really woozy and you know, I'd have to sit down and I would eat these foods that would get some you know, energy into me. Yeah. And I'd have to sit there and lay down. And I thought it was the food that was regulating my blood sugar was really I was, I was stopping the movement. Yeah. And uh, because natural sugar and the carbs that come from fruit they regulate your blood sugar. They're right. very good for you. And any person who's on a type, who's, who's suffering from type two diabetes, carbs are not your enemy. Right. They are the best friend you have. Mm-hmm. But carbs get this bad name because there was the low carb diet. Right. And they never specified what carbohydrates they're talking about. Right. They're talking about refined, processed carbohydrates, uh, your 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 simple carbs that are really bad for you. Right. Um, but the majority of foods on the planet are carbs. Yeah. Uh, I
0: mean I mean all foods are have carbohydrate I mean, all whole plant foods have carbohydrates, protein, and fat, but yeah, the all of them. the majority of their calories come from carbs. Yeah.
1: What's nuts is that strawberries have like fifteen percent fat. It's crazy. Hmm. It, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's 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 amazing. Like people think that there there's no fat in kale. Yeah there is. Right, exactly. It's fantastic. It's just that you can't taste it until you switch to a plant-based diet and you get your... That's what—that's right. uh, the hardest thing is the, the salt and the fat. Yeah. People, they crave it like crazy because mm-hmm. it's so abundant in everything that they eat. They really right. can't get... Their brain can't be satisfied from the response, uh, from the level of fat that's in um, in your, your, your plant foods.
0: How but, long was it for you until you started really enjoying the food you were
1: eating? Um, yeah, so I think the three-month mark... And I think what, ha- what helped was getting off the type 2 medicine because then it gave the food real power. Mm-hmm. Because I had seen exactly, it's like, I just got rid of the highest dosage of metformin. Like, I was one step away from being on insulin. Yeah. And uh, so that made me feel good about getting up and eating it. But it was still a chore. I think that, like I said, when I read Doug Lyle's book, it made me understand that I created a real biological problem mm-hmm. to where... My gen- everything about my genes, everything about my, my biology was seeking the most amount of pleasure for the least amount of energy possible. Yeah. And these supernormal foods that we have in our standard American environment are simply that. And my body believes that that is the most successful thing that it can do biologically speaking, yeah. to eat those foods. So when I switched to eating you know, healthy food, I had a lower dopamine response, lower calorie intake, My body says, no, 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 that's not as successful as what you were doing before. Keep doing that. But there's a day that will come if you continue to eat these healthy foods where you're gonna wake up one day and it's not gonna be a chore. And then there's gonna be another day that comes when you wake up and you're gonna really want them. They're gonna really start tasting good. And what I understood from Doug's book, understanding the science of, of what was actually happening in my brain and my biology was that if I can be comfortable being uncomfortable, long enough until that day comes Mm -hmm. it will happen right it has to happen and it will happen for everyone it is impossible for it not to happen if you do this 100 percent and i didn't want to die from type 2 diabetes i didn't want to lose my eyesight my hearing limbs i didn't want any of these horrible side effects diabetes really just kind of it screws you in every way possible yeah um and I also, you know, I didn't wanna, I didn't wanna revert back to the junk food because I knew that that would bring me back to the drugs. Mm-hmm. So I was gonna do it. I was gonna cry if I needed to. And I had great friends that were like, "Look, man, you're struggling. We can see that you're really angry." And I said, "Yeah, man. I, I just, you know, I'm just so pissed off at everything right now." And and I had a friend, uh, one of the assistant managers. He he said, "Well, if you need an enemy today, I'll be your enemy. You can yell at me all you want." And that really helped because. Early on, I hadn't developed the tools that I needed to self-soothe mm-hmm. without getting angry. Yeah. So it was great to sort of just, you know, yell at him <laughs> for a bit until I got it's it out of my friend. system. Yeah. And, uh, but what was great was that for me, food was my doorway into my emotional healing. Yeah. Because I looked at what I had done with the diet. I I accepted that I don't know how to live as a physical person. Right. The only way I know how to do it is making me very sick and, and, and is killing me. Yeah. I don't know any other way. Engine two and Rip Esselstyn said, here's the way to do it. Right. I didn't like it at first, but I did it. And as a result of doing it, everything about my health got better. Mm -hmm. Everything got better. And I said, why don't I use that same approach to my emotional healing? Because I was going to an IOP uh, treatment center and I was walking in every day and they were trying to get me to accept that I was a spoiled, Entitled arrogant, you know angry person and in like typical spoiled entitled angry arrogant fashion I would throw up a finger and walk out the you know the the therapy room and just start walking down Santa Monica Boulevard and I realized that If I approached therapy in the same fashion and Mm -hmm. I walked in and said I can't do this anymore I'm so sick of fighting with you guys. I you know you tell me that, you're telling me that the way that I'm living my life is, isn't working, fine. I, and I don't know any other way to do it. So I'm just going to do whatever you tell me to do. Yeah. I know it's going to be hard, and maybe it's not all going to work, but I'm going to find my way by trying all these methods. Right. And that's when the emotional healing really started. Mm. And, uh, but I don't think that for me it would have happened without the food because all that existential, uh, you know, sort of intangible stuff it's yeah. really hard for me to grasp. Yeah. Like, it's hard to go in one week and have them tell you that you're you're making progress and you feel worse today than you did two weeks ago. Right. And you're like, how can I be doing better today? Yeah. Like, I feel so horrible. Yeah. And then they can't tell you it's because of this, you know, and this and this and this. They just say, well, you know, we, you just you're doing the work and and we see improvements. Like, whatever. You know, yeah, just, yeah. You just want me here because it's your job. You know, that kind of thing. You get like right. I said, I was angry and and, and entitled and arrogant and, yeah. and all that. So. Uh, but yeah, it's it's amazing.
0: So what, what changes, what type of mental and emotional, I mean, I I know that you are a completely different person now. <laughs> but you know, what is, what is the difference in your relationship with, with yourself, with food, with yeah. you know, like with with life? You know, like your yeah. just your entire perspective has so, shifted.
1: My entire life before was, I hated living and i hated myself like i remember believing that i was so overweight and mm-hmm. so broken by drugs that i would n- I, like if i lost weight i'd maybe get under 250 pounds but that would be it
0: yeah you thought I, you were a lost cause i thought
1: i was and i thought i was physically broken mm. and when you believe that about yourself then, then your whole
0: did you feel like you were more than physically broken did you feel like you were oh, kind yeah. of just like a broken human
1: yeah i mean i couldn't yeah. handle any kind of uh emotionally uncomfortable confrontation Mm -hmm. Um, I would just immediately my my response was to immediately hit fight-or-flight and when that happens the frontal lobe is just completely cut off and you no longer think rationally right just think in this survival method of either get angry and push them away or run yeah and that's how I reacted to life life was a constant fight-or-flight moment and I believed everyone was out to get me and the only way that I could make, through, make it through my day was to be angry and have my guard up. Yeah. And it's, it's a really resentful way of living. Yeah. Uh, you resent everything. It's every, not a fun
0: way to live at you all. You resent
1: everything about your relationship with people, your relationship to your passions in life, mm-hmm. uh, just your relationship to the universe. You just don't feel like you're, you're meant to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, and my apartment was very much a representation of that. It was just filled with trash and you know I, I I would buy all these things, like I would buy these uh, like artwork and and uh, like I was really into as a kid, I used to collect baseball cards, so I had a, a valuable collection of, of baseball cards and basketball cards and stuff, and I would buy more of them because I felt like I guess I had this feeling that if I had valuable things, then I had value yeah and that 's another thing I guess that 's one of the reasons why i 've become such a minimalist is mm-hmm. like owning possessions makes me uncomfortable
0: yeah
1: it takes me back to a a time when like that was necessary to have that self yeah um and uh it's crazy i i it's nuts because it's only been four years which in 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 the grand scheme of things isn't that long yeah but i'm so far removed from who i was it literally feels like another life yeah i cannot imagine i was ever that person
0: so interesting how that happens
1: it's crazy like I look at photos of myself from just four years ago, yeah, and I'm like, I don't remember. I can't. My body can't remember what it was like to feel like that entirely. You yeah, know? like it's just so far away. And you know, I have a. I I have a simple day. Like I get up every morning. and I eat pretty much the same things on a daily basis, and I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't go out to eat a lot because I'm not in control when mm-hmm. I eat out and. My brother says that I grip the wheel pretty hard. Um, and that's one of the things, like, I, I've become quite a control freak, freak because I realized that if I'm in, con- I had to be very much in control of what was happening to my environment in order yeah. to recover. And I've yet to let that go a little bit. Yeah. Um, and that becomes difficult, especially when, now that I travel a lot to speak, mm-hmm. like, I hate flying because none of it's in my control. Mm. And, like, delays and stuff like that just piss me off. But. Yeah but um An- yeah
0: another thing to to practice and, yeah, and exactly. be comfortable with being uncomfortable I know, exactly. <laughs> you know, my
1: uh my my dad says man you know I, I gotta tell you if there's anything that you can worry about you're gonna worry about it aren't you i was like yeah. pretty much and that's that's something that, that i have to deal with is like it's not a problem if, if it might happen right it's only a problem when it does happen and right,
0: and then, from there, you can also make it not a problem. yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> so don't don't uh, yeah. waste your energy on something that hasn't happened yet.
0: Yeah, it's something I think I could also <laughs> definitely work on
1: yeah.
0: <sighs> so you um you still get pretty emotional when you talk about your relationship with your dad yeah. and you know the things that you went through. Have you forgiven yourself for the person that you for the way that, I shouldn't say for the person that you were, but have you forgiven yourself for the ways in which you acted toward him and toward, you know, other family members or friends during that time? No. You haven't
1: forgiven yourself yet? No. Be, like, no one's asked me that question. That, that really just hit me right now. Um, I can't right now. Yeah. Um, just because... Like getting to know my dad over the last four years and, you know, I talk a lot about my dad and I don't mm. mention my mom a lot uh, and the reason for that is my relationship with my dad is finally now where my relationship with my mom has always been mm-hmm. and unfortunately because I always felt like my mom would love me no matter what, she was my punching bag mm. and I would say the worst things to her. Yeah. And uh, it's just, it's so horrible to think about the way that I treated them and like I said, getting to know my dad over the last four years, he's such an amazing guy, and for him to never make me feel bad about who I was, um, and in the face of being treated so terribly, uh, and to be able to offer what he offered me in terms of being able to to recover and and say, you know, I'm just gonna I'm gonna make anything and everything available to you for you to to do what you need to do to get sober. Like I can't imagine ever being in a place where I can offer that to someone. It's just like I mean he was re- he was willing to to spend every cent he had on me because mm-hmm. I meant it meant that much to him. And look, in in a we're talking about a process recovery that has an insanely high failure rate. Yeah. Um, and none of that mattered to him. Uh, and I didn't have insurance. I mean, like he paid, he paid out of pocket for my entire treatment and I don't even know, I don't even want to know, um, how much he spent on me, but he never made me, he never said, I hope you know how much this costs because if you don't do this, never, that never came up and it has never come up. Yeah. Um, it, well,
0: you're more valuable to him than money.
1: And, uh like it's just it's it's just mind blowing to me how wonderful of a person he is and uh like i had him so wrong yeah and uh i want to forgive myself but it's still too early so i'll work on that
0: yeah i hope you're but, able to in time yeah
1: me too cuz uh you know it it does i i, I lay I, I lay awake at night feeling really bad about the 15 years that I lost uh, uh, 15 years of a relationship that could have been what it is today mm-hmm. and I know like future tripping and past tripping they, they serve no purpose but I still feel really bad about it because yeah. like I said my dad lost his dad when he was, when he was in, uh, in college and my addiction got really bad in college so here it was, here he was again in a father-son dynamic where one of us was going to die. Yeah. And, um, here was an opportunity for him to experience a father-son relationship at a time, at an age where he, he didn't have it, you know? Yeah. It's like, he gets to be a father to a son who, who is living beyond the age that he was when he lost his dad. Like That could have been really cool for him, you know, to figure out what that is. Mm-hmm. And, um, the other thing is you know i mean this is this is stupid, but um you know, who knows I mean, if I had had my stuff together, then maybe I would be married and have kids, and you know my dad's father never got to be a grandfather, and uh you know he I never got to meet him, and um i'd like to uh I'd really like to
2: to let my dad uh, be a grandfather, because mm-hmm. um, I think that'd be special for
1: him, to, and for me. Look, I want kids. I mean, yeah. I know it's not my responsibility to give my dad a, uh, a grandkid, but right, right. But to connect with something that I know he he feels his his dad missed out on.
0: Yeah, would be really meaningful. To yeah.
2: Him. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah, well, if it if it helps at all. Um, I was talking or I wasn't talking with someone. I heard someone speak the other day, and uh, she said something that I thought was was really insightful and really important, and she was talking about how you know she suffered from postpartum depression, and when her her daughter was young, she wasn't able to be the mother that she wanted to be, mm. and that she has since you know recovered, and you know she's who you know it's just like like you were saying it's like it's hard to look back and even recognize the person that she once was, right. but she was saying that you know, when, when she thinks about it, she used to get hung up on the same thing that you were saying, like that lost time, like yeah. all of that lost time. And especially with her, her daughter being so young, like so much happens in that first year and like those are really formative years and all of those things. And she said, but, but going through that, even though at the time she wasn't able to be who she is today, who she wanted to be, yeah she is now someone who is so much better than where she even was before that. Yeah. And she's able to be so much more of the present wife, the present mother, the present sister, the present friend, and really embrace life in this whole new capacity. And I feel like you are like tenfold able to experience life in the capacity that you were before, or maybe even more than tenfold. Yeah, and you know? I think I'm
1: trying to commentate a little too much because I, I know I call my dad way too many times during the day. <laughs> and he's uh, I can hear it in his voice. Like he's
2: like, what's going on, Adam? I'm like, just just calling to see what's going on. He goes, Well, I'm at work. I'll talk to you later. And it's just, you know, I just,
1: you know, I really, I really cherish uh, my relationship with him. So, mm-hmm. but I, I, yeah, I call him way too much. So. <laughs> that's, that's all right.
0: <laughs> uh, I love it. Um, I think another thing that is important to touch on that you kind of talked through is how when you were younger the way that your dad uh, Would say things to you that you took as Criticisms that you took as I feel like that happens for a lot of kids is a parent is just trying to Exert their opinion on their child that they think is best that they think is honestly going to help their child exactly but if the distinction is not made that that criticism is on the behavior, not the person, yeah. then we take it personally. Exactly. And that can create this this pattern of of the way that we react and act in the world. Yeah, the way it that makes we... us feel
1: guilty about doing things that we innately want to do. Right. You can't, I, like as a kid, I can't help but be attracted to junk food. Right. Once you try it and you're a kid, <laughs> you want it. And then why, why, if it's so bad, why do I want it so much? Right. You know, and then when I, mean, I can't help, myself in the moment and I do eat it it just makes it would make me feel so bad about myself right I think that that's an important thing a distinction to make and and it's something that I do when I when I coach people in recovery uh or when I give advice to parents who are dealing with kids Mm -hmm. who are young and starting to to have some addiction issues say when you talk to them make the distinction let them know one you're on their side Mm -hmm. say look I'm here for you I'm on your side. I, I want you to be right. happy. Right, I am on your team. I am on, I'm your biggest supporter. Yeah. Um, let them know that you, I'm not here to be against you in mm-hmm. any way, shape, or form. And anything that I'm about, that, that I'm going to talk about, I want you to know that I'm talking about behavior.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Things that you're doing, behavior that you have, not at all about who you are as a person because I love who you are as a person and I wouldn't be doing this now if right. I didn't. Right, right. Um, because when you can separate behavior from who you are as a person, then it makes the behavior, it, it, you're not, there's, there's, no there's no attachment to it. There's no attachment to it. it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So you can let it go. Yeah. Because so many people define themselves by their behavior. And right. behavior is simply, it's just a mindset. Mm-hmm. And you feel like you need to, to hold on to things to validate who you are. Right. But who you are as a person is completely separate right. from the actions you feel you need to do so.
0: Yeah, and on the other side of that, like, because I think that's an important distinction to make so that, you know, like, in my life, like you were saying, like, I really try to, I think that someday, like, if I am a mother, if I am, you know, like, making that distinction of focusing on yeah. the behavior rather than the person and making sure that the person knows that. But I think that on the other end of that, if, if you are someone who is dealing with someone in your life who you feel is criticizing you, you personally. Um, but really if you think about it, they're criticizing a behavior and I think that at least in my own life, it's been important for me to recognize that the change happens, the change that enables that relationship to heal often. It's not me pointing the finger at someone else saying like, you need to change the way that you are acting towards me. You need to change this. It's me pointing that finger inward and saying. How yeah. can I recognize where this person is coming from and how can I react differently knowing that? Yeah,
1: exactly. That? Uh, you know, my relationship with my dad now and, and the rest of my family, my mom, my sister, my brother, is completely different than it was four years ago.
0: And that change happened from within you. Exactly.
1: And look, they've all, they've all done a lot of work. They've yeah. all done therapy sessions with me that were very difficult, but really the, the person who's made the most change in, the four, in those four years is myself and mm-hmm. as a result my relationship with the people around me is completely different. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if I wanted to wait for my dad to change so that his relationship with me could be better, I'd have been waiting my whole life, Yeah. and it never would have happened. If you want something badly, you have to be willing to look. I spent so many years in such pain and anger because I was pointing the finger outward mm-hmm. and sort of believing this facade of who I was and, you know, uh, I, I really believe that there is, there is so much strength in 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 humility. There's power in an apology, mm-hmm. and there's. I'm sorry, I'm just not gonna sit there <laughs> Okay. Okay. Um, there's strength in uh, in an apology. There's power in humility, and there's greater awareness when your pride is laid aside. Mm-hmm. And you know. The the. the the anger and the pain come from looking outward, yeah, and uh, believing that everything else is out to get you, or everything else is the problem. Mm-hmm. But real change comes from having the strength to look in, and most people don't want to, right? Because it's scary, and it's
0: difficult, and it's a lot exactly, of work. They have to <laughs>
1: confront the truth that their idea of themselves may be fake.
0: Right, you have to face that darkness that we all have within, yeah. and we have to bring light to it. And yeah,
1: so. It's the hardest thing that you'll do. It's the hardest thing I've done. Yeah. For sure. And I still do it on a daily basis. (laughs) I still do it on a daily basis. Yeah. I I have, I still have, you know, uh, I think that recovery and and life is a search for the authentic self. Yeah. And it's something that you never completely find because we are different on a daily, every day. uh, Well, and even
0: that is an important lesson to learn that like we are malleable, ever-changing beings and that if we wake up, one day, and we feel different than we were yeah. the day before. You know, that's okay. You know, it's okay to be changing. It's yeah. okay to. Yeah, I mean,
1: every, you know, there are days when I wake up and I and, and I'll and I'll learn something or experience something, and then my views on you know spirituality, on the world, on 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 a lot of factors change. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that the person I was yesterday wasn't the, wasn't who I wasn't me being who I am. Yeah, it's just today I found out something new about myself. something new about the world right so yeah I think that uh, every day is is a search inward yeah so
0: so the last that was beautiful (laughs) Uh, the last thing that I want to touch on is if there is anybody who is listening to this who has a friend or family member who is dealing with addiction yeah um, what would be the best way to support them and love them through that process? And yeah. also, why do you feel that plant-based nutrition is something that can be so helpful during the recovery process?
1: Um, well, one, if you're dealing, if, if you yourself are dealing with uh, with addiction issues or believe that you're dealing with addiction issues, um, you know, like I said, like we just talked about, recognize that behavior isn't who you are as a person, An addiction is a behavior, mm-hmm. and you don't have to, believe yourself bad because you have bad behaviors yeah. um, and that change only comes when you're willing to be honest with yourself so um, find someone if, if, if you're not comfortable with it being someone that you know, mm-hmm. you, know you can like I'm not I, I don't do AA anymore right. um, it, it wasn't it didn't really work for me but I found Buddhist meetings that I would go to mm-hmm. but go to a meeting go to an AA meeting and because you don't have to be open you don't have to say anything you don't have to talk at all right. but go there listen to other people talk listen to other people tell the, their stories and if you connect with any of it if you see yourself in any of those behaviors then allow yourself the opportunity to say maybe I maybe I should talk to someone here mm-hmm. um and if you know someone who's dealing with Addiction or whether it' be a loved one or a friend or family member um, that 's one of the hardest situations to be in because you cannot want it for anyone else right you can 't want someone else to get sober if they don 't want to, but you can let it know, be known that if they do want it and they do want help, you will be there for them yeah uh, I remember several times before I finally went into to to treatment that um, my dad would call and say, "Adam, I don't know what's going on with you, but hang on a second. Okay. Um, he would say, "I don't know what's going on with you, but look, your, your money's going away. Uh, you you have nothing to show for it. Are you know? Do you have a gambling problem?" Um, he didn't want. I mean, look, he knew I was having issues with Adderall. Yeah. I mean, He'd gotten so many calls from doctor friends of his, like, there's no way Adam's out of his pills right now. Mm. Um, and, uh, and he'd say, do you have a gambling problem? If, if it's gambling or, or if it's drugs, don't be ashamed of it. Look, I, I know a lot of people who have dealt with things like this. People that I look up to and work with today and, and stuff like that, uh, there's no shame in it. Mm. You know, and I won't be ashamed of you. Just, you know, if you need help, just ask me and, and we'll find you some help. I wasn't ready to say I need help in those moments, but because he let it no- be known to me that he would be there if I needed it. Yeah. The day after I had the overdose, that was why I called him. And, you know, rock bottom is different for everyone. For me, it needed to be lying on the floor in my own vomit, dying. Right. Uh, some people, it's even worse than that. Um, Do
0: you think that hitting rock bottom is necessary as a catalyst for people
1: but uh, and like like I just said rock bottom everyone has a different bottom yeah for some people it can be you know much you know worse than mine Mm -hmm. it can be pulling gutter water into a needle on skid row and shooting up heroin with it Um, it can be you know committing crimes against other people on a daily basis in yeah. order to secure money for, for drugs or sex or whatever it is. Um, but rock bottom is, is, is where it happens because until you feel like you can't go any lower, mm-hmm. uh, there's no reason for you to stop because you always feel like you have enough of, of who you are to get yourself out of it. Mm-hmm. When you and hit it rock kind
0: of bo- strips you raw to oh, like just, you just have to face... It's brutal the truth of who you are in that moment
1: it's such a brutal place to be but it's necessary because it makes you it helps you to be aware of the fact that this is all you Mm -hmm. everything about what got you to this place has been decisions you've made right and look we know that addiction is a is a biological condition it is it is a disease that is created in the brain some people are more genetically predisposed to developing addiction issues. But my feeling about addiction, and this is kind of controversial,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and is that I look at it in the same way I look at type 2 diabetes. It's a lifestyle disease. I created the disease of addiction in my body through my actions, through the substances I was putting into my body, right. and the, the, the reason I was using it. So the substance abuse can be food, it can be drugs, it can be sex, it can be gambling, it can be whatever. Yeah. Um, and I got addicted to it. I changed, my lifestyle I changed everything about the way I live my life and everything about the way I experience pleasure in life. And as a result of it, I no longer suffer from the disease of addiction. My brother takes Adderall. In that cabinet right there, there's like 60 pills of Adderall right now. Mm-hmm. And he's been in his room asleep. I have no desire to go over there and take it. Right. None whatsoever. Now, if what we know about addiction is true, that it's a disease and it never goes away, I should be clamoring for that right now. Right but I'm not, it's, it's, it, but I know that if I take it, I won't be able to stop.
3: Mm.
1: In the same way I look at type two diabetes, if I start eating McDonald's fast food six times a day, right. eventually I'm gonna be put back on metformin. Yeah. It will come back. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think of addiction in the same way, shape or form, uh, certainly in my case. Yeah. I know that's a controversial statement because a lot of people believe that once an addict, always an addict, but I just don't think that's true. I don't see that happening in my life. And I was as addicted as you can get. Right, yeah. So, I mean, uh, it's, it's, addiction is so tough because there's so much stigma mm-hmm. around it. Like, people believe, people have this idea of what an addict is, that he's this guy in, a, in an alley somewhere shooting up. Uh, But they failed to realize that a lot of those people were someone that had an injury and started taking pain medication. Mm -hmm. And then they couldn't stop taking the pain medication. And and they spent everything they had on it. And then they ended up homeless. And then because it was too expensive, they started shooting up heroin and now they're that person in the alley. They don't see human, they see addict. Yeah. And so that's why there's so much stigma. We think that there's about a million, three million people in the country who suffer from some form of drug addiction and a million of them who uh, are suffering in silence, meaning that they're not asking for help. Mm-hmm. So a million addicts. Uh, and, and you
0: think that they're not asking for help because yeah. of the stigma?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if if you were dying from cancer, you go and you seek treatment for it, mm-hmm. you know, and there's no shame around it. There's no stigma around cancer, but it's a disease and you get treatment and, and, and you know, a lot of times people are able to recover from from the disease. Sometimes they don't. Well, addiction is the same way. It's not your fault that you have the genetic makeup that may cause addiction. Look, a lot of times addiction starts with a doctor. And in that case, if you go to, a, if you're in an accident you end up in the hospital, right? And you get put on diamorphine, which is heroin. That's what they give people in, in uh, in hospitals, it's diamorphine, it's medically pure heroin, it's a painkiller. If you are a person who is likely to gravitate, to attach to something like that because it, it gives you pleasure and it gives you something you've been looking for in life, then you're going to come out of that hospital an addict. Not everybody will, mm-hmm. which is, also helps to prove my point that addiction isn't about just the chemical hooks. If you've seen the Johan Hari presentation, Everything We Know About Addiction Is Wrong, his TED Talk, mm. talks just about this. Have you
0: read the book In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts? I love it.
1: I love Gabor Mate. He's amazing.
0: That was a really, really insightful book for me to learn more about.
1: Johan Hari says that, look, if what we know about addiction is true, if addiction is simply these chemical hooks in the the drug, Mm -hmm. that when we start using it, our body starts to need it and we can't stop taking it. If that were true, then every single person who went into a hospital for an accident, was put on diamorphine, should come out an addict. It's right. not the. It's not the case. We know it's not the case, and that, what really addiction really is, is bonding. Humans have this innate need to bond and connect with something that validates their life. Mm. And when they don't have, when they can't make those bonds and connections with the people and the world around them, they will bond and connect with anything that gives them pleasure, and that's where drugs comes into it. And uh, so I think that if you you look at the the system of, uh, that we have in this country, the war on drugs, mm-hmm. it's the worst system we can have yeah. for helping the drug problem because it's not a war on drugs, it's a war on the addict. Yeah. Because the addict then becomes a criminal. Mm. When you criminalize the substance, the addict is then a criminal. And then once they're a criminal, they, they can no longer re-enter society again. Yeah. So they're then separated from ever being able to make bonds and connections with the world around them. Mm-hmm. That means their need to validate themselves in their life through substance is forever there, mm-hmm. and the war on drugs is just the worst system that we could have, and uh, so yeah, of course there's a stigma. Well, you don't want to be you don't want to be labeled as an addict, especially on people who don't understand it. So hopefully that'll change the facing addiction thing. I never put any faith in government to 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 fix any real problems, but they have this facing addiction initiative. Um, and we'll see what happens. Yeah. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and where does plant-based nutrition play into all of this? Uh,
1: plant-based nutrition, in my opinion, is... It's so important in, in helping you develop a relationship to substances and what, and what, what the environment around you is really for. Mm. So uh, a toxic environment creates a toxic life. And right. if you believe that just abstaining from your your drug and living in your current environment is going to work i don't see that happening abstinence creates fear and resentment mm-hmm. i'm not abstaining from my life uh from the destructive things in my life i live a lifestyle that where they no longer exist right and You're
0: cultivating health every single day
1: exactly when you create an environment where those things can no longer exist there's no abstinence needed because it's simply not a part of your daily routine I think plant-based nutrition works so well in that because it forces you to abstain from unnecessary, destructive substances that are just so much a part of this culture. Yeah. And so much a part of oh, you don't feel good? Have a coke and a smile. Right. You know, and to just be, not be a part of this this horrible system that we have that says, well, if medicine's not working for you. <laughs> Try more medicine. Right. (laughs) You know. I mean, that's what the commercials are. Yeah. They teach you to believe that when you're not feeling right, just throw some medicine on it, and it and it it should work. Yeah. But don't change anything about the way you live your life. Plant-based nutrition completely recreates who you are as a physical person, and in that regard, you you are able to recreate who you are as an emotional, spiritual person. Yeah. And uh, not only in doing so, but it gives you the power to say all the di- most of the diagnoses that you get in rehab, the medicines that you're put on, those aren't, you're not destined to those things. We can get you off of most of them. Now there are people who have conditions, psychological uh, conditions, schizophrenia, things like this. They'll need to be medicated for maybe the, most, the rest of their life. But most of the medications that we see people come out of rehab with, the antidepressants, the mood stabilizers, the sleeping medications, the ADHD medications, then, you know, the, the, the actual health diagnoses they get, the type 2 diabetes from eating the terrible food, mm-hmm. the high blood pressure, the high cholesterol, none of these things need to exist. And recovery should be about creating health and wellness in your life. And if in recovery you're going on more medications, medication is there to treat disease symptoms. Right. If you're going on more medications, it's an indication that you're becoming more diseased as a person. And therefore, there's something missing in your recovery. And I have, not, I have not seen one person that I've worked with who completely adopts a plant-based life that doesn't go off of their medications Yeah. and doesn't completely change who they are physically.
0: Yeah. I really like that, how you were... I, that just really kind of clicked for me when you were saying that when people are put on medications, it just furthers this idea that, like, you're, you're broken in some you're way broken. or there's something wrong with you. And when you're eating... A plant-based diet, well, number one, it's like what you were saying earlier. It's an act of self-love every time you make a meal. It's yeah. telling yourself you are worth this nourishment, and you have the power within you to treat and heal what is going on with you, and you are not broken. The system is broken, it's but just, you, you as a human no. are whole and healthy, and you can heal. Yeah,
1: and, and not only that, the medications you get put on, no, medic- no medical company, no, no uh, pharmaceutical company has ever tested. The medications that you take and the combination that you take them for you, who you are as a person, that does not happen. Right. They don't combo test drugs. They were never meant to be taken together. And so it creates these side effects and these, these reactions and these, you know, to where people just feel so bad. And this is, this is recovery? Yeah. This is what it's going to be like for the rest of my life? How, how, does, how do you feel like this is worth it? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it just doesn't make sense to me. If, if you can tell someone, yeah, rehab is tough, you're on these medications, now you're going to start your, your journey towards getting yourself healthy and to where you no longer need these medications and you start feeling alive and connected with the world around you. And Because, I mean, think about it, who we are, first and foremost, is humans. Yeah. And what humans really are, are earth-connected beings. hmm when we are connected with the earth around us through the foods we put into our body, it creates a greater awareness of what we are as yes, living beings yes. on this planet. <laughs> yes. and, and I think that is, that is one horrible uh, side effect of the standard American diet, is that we believe we are separate.
0: Right, it disconnects us.
1: We are completely separate, because none of the foods that we eat come from earth. Right. They are like these chemical creations yeah. and and you know trans fats and hydrogenated oils and, and the, you know just these, your aspartames and all these other things, and, and none of it actually connects you to the planet that you live with. Mm-hmm. and it forces you to love your dog and eat a pig and wear a cow, but never kill an animal with your own hands in your entire life. Yeah and why you will see a goat a lamb alive and smile at it and then at the same time see a rack of lamb and want to eat it because you don't, there's no, you don't see it, there's no connection Exactly. and uh, I think that there's a greater awareness for yourself and your connection to the earth that happens by going plant based and that creates appreciation. Mm. And I mean,
0: I definitely have so experienced right? that. Right? Yeah.
1: And I know it sounds like hippie and all that stuff, but it's Yeah, it's but not. like, it's,
0: no. Exactly. Yeah.
1: So, uh, and look, I was, I was as big of a carnivore as there ever was, mm-hmm. and you know, I, I have a lot of guilt because I was one of these people who was an, enviro- an environmental, I'm, look, you can't see me, but I'm making the right. quotation marks. <laughs> <laughs> Um, a, uh, I was an environmentalist. I was an animal lover. I fully bought into the idea that human beings are supposed to eat meat. We just don't have to be cruel about it. Mm-hmm. And the fact is that we, we are not at all, we have not at all evolved from nature to eat meat. We are we're herbivores and there is, there is this unbelievable awakening that happens when you give yourself the chance to accept this lifestyle. And I think that it's easiest for people to make that change because I, I believe that most people, whether, not in a bad way, but most people are selfish. Mm-hmm. If you can show them how it's gonna make them feel better, then, then they'll adopt the lifestyle. Right. But what's great about it is as a result of that, the planet gets healthier, yeah. there's less cruelty, and we talk a lot about peace between humans. I think that as long as there's violence on your plate, there's always gonna be violence in your life. Mm-hmm. And we, if we can't be peaceful towards all creatures, we're never gonna be peaceful towards each other. Yeah. And Gary Yourofsky says that peace starts at the dinner plate, and, and I believe that. And I know he's, yeah. he's, 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 a, he's a, very much a radical guy. Mm-hmm. A lot of people see him as you know, this radical guy. I know he's considered an eco-terrorist in some places, but I think oh, it's ridiculous. Wow. Um, Uh, He made the best analogy that I've ever heard when it comes to humane slaughter. Mm -hmm. Um, He said, let me ask you this. This guy on an interview asked him, what's wrong with if you were to raise an animal on a farm, you raise it from birth, you give it a nice life, Uh, he lives outside and has green fields and other animals to play with, and then when the time comes, very humanely, he says, very humanely, you slaughter the animal and eat it. What's wrong with that? And he goes, well, let me ask you a question. Let's say I take a girl out for a date, right? And I show her a great time. We have a you know, wonderful time. She enjoys herself. I buy her you know, a great meal. We go back to my place, put on some great music. We're enjoying ourselves. And then I slip her a pill into her drink. And I rape her. And she didn't feel anything. She had a great time. Is that wrong? Well, of course it's wrong. Because the act of rape is wrong. Mm-hmm. Just as the act of murder is wrong, doesn't matter how you disguise it. Murder is wrong. There's no humane way to take the life of something that doesn't want to die. And when you accept that you are a part of that decision, it's 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 quite uh, an awakening to know that I'm no longer a part of that. I no longer contribute to that. So,
0: right. It can be such a positive revelation yeah. to know that you're supporting only positive things only and positive. only kindness and it's right yeah and what you're eating is an act of love in so many ways yeah
1: so many ways and, and it's but it can start with being selfish in the best way possible
0: yeah i mean i think that in a lot of in a lot of ways being selfish is being selfless like yeah. we have to we have to turn inward first and take care of ourselves and once we're acting from a place where we are already full of Love and nourishment, we can love and nourish others. You can't from a be your best capacity. self
1: for other people unless you are your best self. Yeah. So be selfish and as I say, be selfish in the best way possible. Uh be fearlessly honest and look inward. You know, no one's perfect. I am by no means perfect. Uh Essie's close. <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> um but uh no one's perfect we're stronger than that you know if if,
0: perfectly imperfect
1: exactly if we were perfect this would be easy and there'd be no point to it Mm -hmm. because everything we did would be right and everything would be fine and there'd be no struggle for anything and it would be the most pointless life in the world Mm -hmm. but we're not perfect because we're strong enough to not be perfect and
0: and going through the struggle yeah makes us stronger better more beautiful humans exactly So, I think that's a good place to end. Thank you so much. (laughs) Oh, you're welcome. Thank (laughs) you for having me. Yeah.